From the beginning of chapter 41, we have been speaking about the role of fear or awe within uh, Judaism. And in today's chapter, chapter 43, we somewhat wrap up fear or awe within Judaism. And we begin to discuss the different levels of love of Hashem within Judaism. And we've already been, uh, by now, made aware of the necessary role of having not just the love of God, but also an awe of Hashem. And I'll touch again in a few moments on what we mean by fear of God. Why this is a good thing. There's an old Hasidic saying that says, Love is mer geshmak. But fear is mer gesund. Love is more tasty. It's more enjoyable. But fear is more healthy. Definitely a hard one to understand. Specifically under uh, modern, uh, the modern world we live in. Fear is something that doesn't have much of a positive space in society. But we've been speaking about it over the last few weeks. And the way I summed up the, uh, the response to the difficulty of how fear could be a good thing, I mentioned this a few times, fear is when a person allows another entity to uh, cause himself to be affected. If that entity is a bad entity, then fear is bad. But if that entity is a good entity, then fear is an amazing ability for the person to be less consumed in themselves and to allow something greater and more special, more valuable to enter into their lives. So fear is like um, surrender. Surrender of what? If it's surrender of a person's dignity and value, then fear is a bad thing. But if it's surrender of a person's ego and uh, self-centeredness, that it's a very good thing. If, it's if the person is surrendering their value, then it's a bad thing. Yes. But if a person is surrendering their self-centeredness, then it's a good thing. Wouldn't this all apply the same if you were saying talking about love rather than fear? No, not at all. The difference between fear and love, the question is, can't we have the same thing with love? Be less caught in oneself and, and more connected to something greater. The difference between love and fear is that love develops the person's identity. Fear removes the person's ego. 
the person's selfishness. I did change between identity and ego, and maybe that was not completely accurate. I could just speak about identity. Love strengthens the person's identity, where fear reduces the person's identity. That sounds like a negative thing, but it's self. It's really self. And I guess what's quite confusing about all of this is who are we? That's really the question of the Tanya we've been asking for the very first chapter. Who are we? What are our aspirations? How do we define self? And by determining what that self is, it will determine is it something that we want to build on or is it something that we want to diminish? And the answer is it's complicated. We, we, there's, there's a part of us that needs to be surrendered. I changed from the word diminish to surrender. Diminish is that it's no longer. Surrender, I guess it depends on which part of ourselves. If it's arrogance and, and, and closed-mindedness, and that needs to be diminished, not just surrendered. If it is um, uh, a person's determination, then that's not something that you want to diminish, but it is something that you want you to surrender towards a good cause. You don't want your determination just to be about how much money you can make. Because then that determination is just self-serving. But you do want that determination to be about achieving something that's completely beyond yourself. That's surrender. So to answer your question, what does fear bring to the table that love doesn't? Fear, depending on what level of fear is the only tool that a person can use to step away from themselves, step away from their ego, to diminish their ego. Love, on the other hand, is always built on the person's experience. The extreme example is you obviously don't love chocolate because if you loved it, you wouldn't eat it up. Whatever the examples that I give it is that you love yourself. You love the feeling that you get from eating chocolate. If you really love the chocolate, you'd frame it and put it on your wall and keep it for all eternity. So what does that uh, point bring out? That when you talk about you loving the chocolate, there there's a lot of you. And there's a very little bit of chocolate. The chocolate is there to serve you. So you just love yourself. Meaning that the chocolate is just building on yourself, on your aspirations. As long as our Judaism is based just on love, then it is limited to our human condition. It's fickle. It will go up and down. It's unreliable. Because that's how us human beings are. We're not machines. And we have our ups and downs. And we could be all over the place. And that's why the Hasidic saying was that while love is more geschmack, Fear is more gesund, it's more healthy, because when you have a level of acknowledgement of a higher authority, then that higher authority, God, is not going anywhere. That's, it's, 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 it's healthy. It means that you're not subjecting your Judaism to how you feel, to your identity, to your existence. On the contrary, you're, you're basing your Judaism on the submission of the surrender 
of your personal interests to a higher authority. Again, do you want to surrender yourself? Depends to who. Depends what you're surrendering. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Yes. Question. I find this interesting because one of the outstanding parts of Hasidic philosophy, when one learns it, is the emphasis of serving Hashem with love. A million times more than serving Hashem with fear. And, and we, pr- like we pride ourselves with that, like living living, because, connecting ourselves to Hashem because we love Him, not that we fear Him. And yet, in this lesson, I'm hearing that fear plays an extremely important role over love, possibly. Well, it's very, there's a famous saying, another famous Hasidic saying, Sevetzich Vomelet. It depends in what context we speak. When we use the f- word fear, what do we mean? We use the word love, what do we mean? Pardon? Fear could be respect. That's a positive fear. A base, the, the, the lowest level of fear spoken about, and really today's class is speaking about different levels of fear. So this is really, we're now moving into the meat of the matter. Uh, the most basic level of fear is fear of punishment. Fear of punishment gets pretty much no, gets almost no mention in Hasidic literature. It is an effective means that sometimes may be necessary, but very primitive. At least once the Hasidic approach has been uh, shared and revealed, we, we're, we're, we're uh, striving for something much more. Why? What's wrong with fear of punishment? Or what's the shortfall of fear of punishment? I heard it being said that whatever advantage we're giving to fear over love, it seems like fear of punishment barely has. Because we're saying love is building on your identity. Fear is replacing or surrendering your identity. Giving up on your ego. But if you're doing things out of fear of punishment, it's still just about you. Balance. Balance of between fear and love. So we gotta speak about we're gonna speak about multiple levels of fear now. And then absolutely that's the the short answer. Helen's got it right. The short answer is that you need both. You can't have one without the other. Yes, it seems to be coming out that fear is even more essential than love, but the Tanya from when it introduces this concept of, of the necessity of fear it immediately already, the first time we introduce this concept in a big way in chapter 41, the second half of the chapter already speaks about, however, we also need love. And in order for a bird to fly, it needs both fear and love. So it, it is essential to have love and not to have fear. But before we even get there, the starting point is when we speak of fear, what level of fear of Hashem do we speak? Fear, so we said love of the chocolate is... Um, uh, complete disregard to the chocolate, the way people use it. If you really love the chocolate, as I said, you'd frame it on the wall and honor it for all eternity. But you don't care about the chocolate, you care about the, the whatever feelings it will make you feel when you eat that chocolate. I just saw a meme recently that said that um, uh, people don't realize that uh, there's an alternative to th- therapy 
it's a lot cheaper, it's a lot more accessible, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more immediately effective, it's called chocolate. Uh, obviously, it's a joke. But, um, but fear of sin is still putting yourself, it's still where you don't really care about the sin. When you're afraid, sorry, fear of punishment. When you're afraid of punishment, you don't care about whether what you're doing is right or wrong. All you care about is yourself. It's still completely self-centered. I'm not going to do it because this is what will happen to me. So there's a disregard or there's no consideration of the value of the, the subject itself. Now this is part of Judaism because sometimes it's necessary. There is a time when in educa- educating your child, you need to just use fear of punishment. Because the child just doesn't get it. The child, if you start telling them right now, whatever the appropriate age is, if, if the two-year-old doesn't understand that if they continue running into the road right now, they're putting their life in danger, then fear of punishment might be what saves their life. But you don't want them for the rest of their life to be, every time they think you're crossing the road, to have this image that their, their parent is about to hit them. They should realize at that point it's not their parents, it's the cars, it's their safety. So, so that's why fear of punishment is very primitive and it's sometimes effective. Um, and why does it exist in Judaism? Because um, sin, is, sin is bad. It really has a negative effect on us. And we, we do want to avoid it at all costs. And therefore, sometimes there's a focus that realizes that when you sin, you, you're, uh, you're, you're causing damage. And that damage is going to negatively affect you. And if that's what's going to stop you from doing it, then by all means, you won't do it. There'll be consequences. But as I said, I've spoken very little bit about, little bit about uh, Hasidus. Why? Because the Hasidic perspective of fear is the gateway to get out of yourself. I'm suggesting this. I didn't see this written clearly. It seems. Also from listening to some classes on Tadia. The whole advantage that here in chapter 43, the Tanya gives, 41, 42, 43, the Tanya gives a fear over love, is this gateway, this ability to get out of yourself. So if you're just speaking about fear of punishment, then you're still just self-centered. It's got no advantage to the love. So this fear is the fear that we speak not of, fear of punishment. The lowest level of fear discussed in Hasidus is fear of sin. And this is what we spoke about over the last two weeks. We mentioned in the last two classes, three classes, that from chapter 41, 42, that a foundation to our Jewish experience is fear of sin. We said it's not enough to just be afraid to sin or fear of God even, but a basic level of fear of God. It's not enough to just use fear of sin as a deterrence from sin and love of God as a motivation to mitzvahs. Why? Because we're not just supposed to be Hashem's uh, um, uh, fans. We're supposed to be His servants. We're supposed to serve God. It's why we were created. It's, 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 as Jews, we're here to be servants of Hashem. This is not degrading, it is our pride. It's, 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 it's why we were created and it's what will bring us, it, it's what will make us happy. Because, we'll, because 
that servant, that, that, that genuinely proud servant of the king that just loves the king, prides himself that he is a servant of the king. And when we realize Hashem's greatness, being a servant of Hashem is, is, is really what we want to be. And to be a servant of Hashem, to serve Him, not just to love Him, we need to have that basic level of fear of sin. How do we achieve the fear of sin? So this is now level one discussed in the Tanya, the basic level of fear. It's by remembering that Hashem is watching us. Chapter 41, 42, we describe that if you knew that somebody was watching you, you would behave differently. And if we realize that Hashem is watching our every step, then uh, we won't want to sin. It's a basic human condition that when you know you're being watched, then you won't do things that you'll otherwise do. Right? You come home after a long day and you're really hungry. I don't know, there's a, a dish over there, a bottle, and you want to just take the bottle and drink straight out of the bottle or just uh, eat straight out of the serving dish. So I shouldn't put, it, put such possibilities to such a dignified crowd. But, but at least they say it could happen, that somebody's feeling really hungry and they decide to ditch some of the in-between processes, between, uh, in-between steps between being well-fed and... Uh, the, the dish in front of them. But if somebody's in the kitchen, somebody's in the room, you won't do it because you're being watched. If you're being watched, it will prevent you from sin. This is the basic level of fear discussing sinners. Not fear of punishment, but fear from Hashem, the awareness that Hashem is watching us. Hashem is watching our every step. I'm not afraid of what God will do to me. I'm afraid to sin in His presence because He is valuable. When you're not going to do that act, when you decide you're not going to drink out of the bottle because you see somebody is watching you, it's not that you worry that if they see this, then that person is then going to walk down the street and say, "You won't believe what you what, you, you, you won't believe what I saw. I saw my mother or kid or whoever it was drinking out of the." That's nothing to do. It's it's not about what will happen to me. It's just that that awareness that somebody is watching is a deterrent from sin. And if we realize that Hashem is always watching, then uh, that will deter us from sin. So it's already a selfless fear. It's not fear of punishment that if I sin, this is what will happen to me. It's already the first step of the gateway of getting out of ourselves. It's realizing, hey, it's not just you in the room. God is in the room. He's watching. And that beckons you to act differently. Clear? That's why Rabbi Yechonin ben Zakkai, as he was passing away, when he was giving a message to his students, he said, if you should fear God like you fear, like you fear man. And they said, that's it. He said, halavai, if only you feared God like fearing man. And the way Chassidus explains it here in the Tanya was this point, that if we realize that Hashem is always watching us, then that will give us a fear from sin. And it will also beckon us to do what we need to do because Hashem is watching us. Last week, or the class before, we spoke about, after all, when somebody is watching you, it's a physical person, he's in the room, and when you know it's physical and you can see it, and that has an effect, but God is spiritual, we can't, like how are we supposed to feel that he's really watching us? And we gave the beautiful explanation of how the world is God's body. And, and, and to adjust our uh, perspective, when we begin to realize that 
just as a, a human person. It's not that you worry that their hand or eyes are watching you. It's that you worry that the, the, the personality within that body sees you. So when you realize that this world has a personality within it, how the body, just as a body is the avenue through which a person manifests himself, the world is God's body through which he expresses himself to us. So when we have that awareness, then we'll be able to see Hashem physically in our space. When I'm able to sit down and say, these, the trees and, 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 and the sun and the grass, those are all Hashem's eyes. It's all Hashem. It's Hashem's body. And, and Hashem is watching by every step. Then that will empower me to be afraid to sin and empower me to be God's servant to do the right thing. That's level one. This is the gateway. I have an interesting question for you. I know the answer, but I'd like to hear, some, hear from the crowd a little bit. And that is, is fear the means or the ends? Is fear something that is a tool that we use to be able to achieve? Or are we looking to achieve fear? I was just going to ask you because I'm still conflicted about love, what Faye uh, said. I think if we fear, we can do it with love. It's a means. It's a means. Yeah. It's a means. Yeah. It's too, we, hopefully we'll achieve love. Uh-huh. So just to clarify, everything we're speaking about over here, it's not healthy if a person only has this. No. It's not enough to just be afraid of the fact that God is watching you alone. The Tanya says the bird needs two wings to fly. We need both fear and we need love. Not just the fear of being seen by Hashem doing something wrong, fear of sin, not fear of punishment, fear of sin, but also a love of, I love Hashem so much that I want to do everything for Him. Yes, that's not so very much a servant approach. It's more about me, an expression of myself, but that's very important. We need to both surrender and develop ourselves simultaneously. Maybe the surrender is the fear, the develop is the love, and we need both. They're absolutely essential. So it seems from what we're saying that fear is the means. However, if you look at a very holy book called the Bible, Chumash, God says to the Jewish people, I have given you all of these laws so that you fear God. So that you fear me. So the Torah clearly states, not that the fear is the means to be able to achieve good conduct, but that all of the good conduct are the means in order to be able to achieve fear. Fear is this goal that all we aspire for is to have this level of awe and fear of Hashem, which is the opposite of everything we've been speaking about. The Tanya resolves this question. Is fear the preliminary step, a means to be able to achieve? Or is fear the, the, the objective? By answering that, there are two fears. There's a lower fear and there's a higher fear. The lower fear is the gateway and the higher fear is our aspiration. So, back to our enumeration of the different levels of fear. Basic level of fear is to realize that Hashem is watching us and that will deter us from sin. This is the gateway. 
This is the basis. That and it's and it's and it's healthy. It's not just it's not just geschmack. It's gesund. It doesn't just feel good. It doesn't necessarily feel good. It doesn't always feel good. But it's healthy. It's healthy for a person. If we always realize that we stand in the presence of Hashem, then it will keep us in good space. If we realize that we're always being watched by good eyes, not by our antagonists that want to pull us down, that make sure that we need to keep in shape because otherwise we'll use it against us. No, we're being watched by a loving God who only wants our own good. So that will keep us in check. It's healthy. It's not just... Whatever mood you're in, it doesn't change the fact that Hashem is here and He's watching us with His loving eyes, but nonetheless watching us, and therefore it requires me to act accordingly. That's level one. Level two is a fear that is developed not by the fact that Hashem is watching me, but by an awareness of the greatness of Hashem in this world. An analogy, right? You walk into a wedding, a very high level or a very high class dinner. Everybody's dressed in their tuxedos and whatever woman, whatever the the adjectives are of their fancy uh, dress. Everybody's really dressed to the event. This is a really high-level event, very high-level decor. Everybody is, I guess, in their high heels and, and dressed to the occasion. And uh, I don't know, you need to blow your nose. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. So, uh, but you, I mean, in this kind of context, you might want to rather maybe move to the side and move to the side room. You, you don't need everybody to watch you blow your nose. So what's going to stop you from blowing your nose? A person who is less in tune to his environment will be stopped by the fact that he sees right now somebody is like talking to him or, or looking at him. So if somebody right now is talking to me or looking at me, I'm like, I'll move to the side. Yes, it's natural, it's normal, it's human, but I don't feel like blowing my nose in this person's face or this person's sight. A person who is more aware of his environment is not concerned about whether somebody is watching him, but he's concerned whether this nose blow is in line with the mood and the vibe of the room. I used, uh, you can think of other examples too. I used something that's uh, an essential that we all need to do, but any kind of conduct that wouldn't be in line with a decor. So again, a basic level is where a person doesn't do what he feels like doing because he's being watched. A higher level is a person doesn't do it because of his awareness of the high level of the environment. So too in our service of Hashem. A basic level of fear of Hashem is I don't want to sin because God is watching. But otherwise, I wouldn't mind sinning. Now it's just that he's watching me. If he, so to speak, turns aside, then I could quickly grab, uh, you know, grab a bite because he's watching me. But if he's not watching me, then I'll do it. A higher level is that if God is real and is awesome and he is found within every atom and molecule of, of existence and he's beyond this world and the world is insignificant before him the tanya generally speaks about three themes that a person can 
um, contemplate upon. Contemplate means to think hard and long about it. Three things a person can think long and hard about to develop a respect of Hashem's greatness. How Hashem, they are. How Hashem fills the world. How Hashem transcends the world. And how the world is insignificant before Him. Each one at one level higher than the other. Firstly, realizing Hashem's greatness. How He is the, um, uh, the not just founder, and not, but the funder. He is the energy of everything that we engage with in this world. This is as Hashem fills the world. If we're able to look at every article of our um, uh, experience, of our life, as an article that houses God's, because Hashem is found everywhere. So that will instill upon us a respect and, and an awe of Hashem's greatness within the world. Higher than that is that as as, as awesome as this world is with its billions of creatures, Hashem actually completely transcends it. And higher than that is so much does Hashem transcend the world that the world is actually completely insignificant before. But we spoke a lot about this in chapters 20 and 21 and 22. There we, we spoke at length about uh, developing a perspective of how Hashem is really great and awesome and how insignificant we are before Him. This is level two of fear of Hashem. It's developing an awareness of before whom we stand, of Hashem's greatness, that automatically makes us not want to do anything that's wrong. It makes us not want to, so not just because we're being watched, but because it's unbecoming. This too, believe it or not, the Tanya is still describing as the lower level of fear. As the gateway to divine service. It is already a big achievement. It happens as a result of contemplation. It's not just that God is always watching. But it's also starting to change our perspective. To have a different perspective of where we realize that, that, that God is awesome. And it's unbecoming of us to sin. But it's only experiencing God as we see him express himself through the world. It's not yet talking about God himself. It's talking about the manifestation of God as he lowers himself, himself down to the world. Now, by now, you might be thinking like, whoa, this stuff's in my head. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm in the wrong class. One of the themes of the Tanya, the Tanya is called the book of Sefer Shalbedanim, the, the book for the in-betweeners. Um, tradition has it that the author, the Altarev, wrote another book for Tzadikim. That it was too much for the world to handle and, and there was a fire and, and, and it got burned. The Tanya is very much for me and you. But one of, the, one of the approaches that the Tanya takes, which has been reoccurring throughout the book, is we speak not just of where we are. We also speak about our aspirations. We speak about how much a person can achieve. And we're not intimidated to speak about the highest of levels. We don't get carried away by it. We don't walk away thinking, ah, oh, now I'm on cloud nine and I have a perspective of reality. That every guy walking down the street is clueless to. I made it. I'm like, not at all. We're very much in tune of how this is very high. These are very high levels that we may at most get a glimpse of. But nonetheless, we're not deterred from speaking about it. I guess because it's, it's, it's contextualizing it and it's giving us aspirations. And it's developing a different perspective of life. Even if we're not there. Even if we haven't internalized and achieved those perspectives. Being aware of those perspectives already reframes everything. So I'll start 
summarizing, as I see we're running out of time, we're speaking here of a lower level of fear. I actually haven't even really begun to speak about the higher level of fear. A lower level of fear and a higher level of fear. The lower level of fear is God's within the world. Whether it be that he's watching me or whether it be his awesomeness. The higher level of fear or awe or respect or surrender is not to God as he is expressed within the world, but to God himself. An analogy of the difference of these two types of fear, as I said, in general, fear is a tough one nowadays. Nowadays, fear is only uh, viewed as a negative thing for all the reasons that we've discussed. 100, 200 years back, there was the concept of a king and a monarchy. And that fear wasn't just that the king will chop my head off. It wasn't. We, we, we limit it to that today because we're so clueless of it. That the fear that people would have before a king would really be an acknowledgement of the king's power. Not that he will chop my head off. It was an acknowledgement that this is, this, this, he's, this is a powerhouse. This is a really powerful individual. What example do we have of that today? We don't really, right? Even presidents are all full of corruption and uh, we, we look down at them. This is a king of, of another age. I guess one example could be somebody that's maybe not just very wealthy, but actually uh, is, um, uh, funds a lot of, of, of society. So if you're talking about, I don't know, maybe you, you're talking about, a, I mean, people have heard the name Elon Musk before, right? They say he's influential, he's got a lot of money, and he makes uh, decisions on, 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 on uh, uh, freedom of speech. And so maybe if Elon Musk was in the room, from a financial perspective, you'd kind of be awed that this guy is like, he's really got a lot of power in his hands. Obviously, just through the prisms of money. But that's the best of an example I could think of this level of fear, not fear that something will happen to me, but an awareness of the awesomeness of the person. But it's very, that's also very primitive because ultimately it's just his money, right? As, as fast as he gets it, he could lose it. As fast as he is in control of, 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 of media, he could not be in control. But a king, back in the day when people stood before a king, they felt the king's um, authority and they were humbled in his presence. And this takes us to level two of fear over level one. Not just level one that I'm embarrassed to blow my nose in front of the king because he's watching me, but I'm embarrassed to blow my nose in the palace because this is such a dignified space. Higher level of fear would be the analogy of when a person stood in front of a truth satik, in front of a rebbe. What's the difference? When you stand in front of the king, you know little about, you may know very little about the king's personality, about the king's soul. What are you impressed by? The king's power, right? You stand in front of a billionaire and maybe you're somewhat impressed by him, especially if you're able to talk to him. You don't really care so much about what kind of personality he has. You care about his influence, his power. But when a person would stand in front of a, a true tzaddik, a true rebbe, a person would feel the rebbe's essence, meaning his neshama shining through, the part of God within him shining through. And when it comes, when a person is able to have a window into not just the external manifestation of greatness, but the true holiness and greatness of the person, it has a 
mirror effect of the person himself. Let me explain. I know that we're running tight on time, and we'll try to wrap it up as soon as we can. This is great levels of fear. God is awesome, and He created this awesome world. And if I were to able, if I was able to look at every blade of glass and every light bulb as another manifestation of Hashem's greatness, then I would be humbled in His presence, and that would make me not want to sin. But what am I being impressed by? I'm being impressed by a world that God made that leaves space for me. Meaning, I'm engaging with the level of God of where Hashem, so to speak, goes out of himself and he says, I'll make a world where you matter. So yes, I am awed by Hashem's greatness. But it's Hashem's greatness in the context of Hashem already as he relates to the outside. If I was able to plug into appreciating Hashem for who he is, then that would make me completely insignificant. Because now I'm plugging into a space, not that he lowers himself down to make space for me, but just as he is. Don't worry, you matter. Is that what it's called, the movements? You matter? We matter. Don't worry. We matter. We're never, there's always a part of us that, not just a part of us. There's, a, there's I don't know if you can call elements about God, but there's, there's certainly one um, uh, elements, just to borrow the term of where Hashem says that we are more valuable than anything in the world. Just but park that for a moment. Just don't let that inhibit this, uh, this concept. When we're able to plug into Hashem himself beyond any manifestation of the world, and that can cause us to truly melt away to be non-existent. Now this, again by the way, melt away non-existence doesn't mean, it means it's the melting away non-existence of the selfishness, of, of being caught in ourselves. It doesn't mean that we literally are no longer there. It just means that we're a part of something much greater. Um, surrender. This is a very high level. In Hasidic terminology, there's called Bittul Hayesh and Bittul Babetsiyas. Bittul Hayesh is where I exist, but I surrender myself. Bittul Babetsiyas is where it's just not about me. I'm completely insignificant. So how can we achieve this very high level of fear where you're not just cognizant of Hashem's manifestation, His greatness within planet Earth, within the world, but you're cognizant of Hashem as He is completely beyond this world? It's through engaging in Torah and Mitzvahs. Why? Because Torah and mitzvahs are expressions of Hashem as he is beyond this world. A mitzvah in this world is not just here to make the world a better place. Uh, that's a very, broad, very loose term actually. Yes, when we do a mitzvah, it has an impact on the world. And we spoke earlier in the Tanya how, how that's the ob objective of it all, to, to bring God into the lowest of places. But nonetheless, mitzvahs were not just given as... Um, tools to have a more friendly society. Those are the seven Noahide laws. The seven mitzvahs for all of mankind is for us not to eat each other alive and to get along together. A mitzvah is really a window into experiencing God as he is completely beyond this world. 
and then shining in this world. So yes, a mitzvah is done in this world and it has an impact and an imprint on the world. But how so? By shining a godly light that completely transcends the world into the world and having a revolutionary impact. And the same for Torah study. When we're able to sit down and, and learn chapter 43 of the Tanya, we're able to completely plug in with the help of Hashem and, and not too many distraction, distractive thoughts. We're able to plug into the wisdom of God that completely is of a different world, it's, it's, it's of a real world, of not just a, a hypothetical world, of a real world that's, that's just not confined by the day-to-day um, uh, prisms of, of, of human experience. Okay, we really got to wrap this up. But what we're saying over here is that when we engage in Torah and mitzvahs, we're able to aspire for a higher level of fear of Hashem where we really are not in the picture, where it's really not about me, to the ultimate sense, in the most beautiful way, not in God, but a self-destructive way, but in a way where we really are just no longer part of the equation. It's just about what needs to be done. We're all looking for that level of selflessness where it's not about me. So this, it's not about me, can only really be achieved through investment in Hashem's mitzvahs. And when we plug into that, we're able to reach this high level of fear. So in summary, three levels of fear. The fourth we said doesn't reach the table. Fear of punishment. Level number one of fear is fear of Hashem watching me. I don't want to sin. Level two of fear, still the lower level of fear, is fear to sin in the presence of Hashem's greatness as it expresses itself through the world. Like a person wouldn't want to um, act out of line in the presence of a king. Level number three is complete submission and surrender before Hashem himself, not just as he expresses himself through the world, but plugging into where Hashem himself shines, that I simply don't, I really do not want myself to be in the way. I really don't want to be caught in myself. I want to completely surrender myself. And this higher level of fear is a very high aspiration. So back to the question we asked, is fear the means or the goal? It depends which fear. The basic fear is a gateway. We said a gateway to being a servant of God and not just a friend of God or an admirer of God is to have that basic um, um, awareness of Hashem watching me and of Hashem's greatness. That's the gateway to be able to achieve. We said it's not just more geschmack, it's more gesund, it's healthy. It's healthy for us to realize that Hashem is watching us. Yes, coupled by love, which is, by the way, also discussed in 43. And unfortunately, I won't be able to include in this class because of time. But please, God, next week we'll see how the Alter Rebbe, perhaps because of the centrality or how necessary it is to have both fear and love, in a chapter that's so focused on fear, he develops the second half to say how there's multiple levels of love. And please, God, will learn about it next week. This is all the gateway, the lower level of fear, is awareness of Hashem's awesomeness. And the higher level of fear is complete loss of self. Through a life of investment, of commitment to Hashem, where we're engaged in learning, engaged in doing a mitzvah, engaged in a higher godly reality, then we're able to achieve. Hashem says, I've given you all these mitzvahs so that you achieve fear of Hashem through our investments in Hashem. We're able to ultimately achieve a complete selflessness, which is actually the aspiration of every chassid. Every chassid aspires to reach a point where He's just no longer caught up in himself where it's no longer about me, where I'm just an avenue, a, 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 
an avenue through which Hashem could shine. And, and, and that's, all that, that's all that I aspire for. That's all that I achieve. I'm going to conclude with just a story or two, just a, on a lighter note. So, so talking about this higher level of fear, there was a particular chassid that borrowed from another chassid 10,000 rubles. A lot of money. So the uh, lender came to the borrower and he said to the borrower, can you pay me up? The borrower said, haven't you learned chapter 43 of the Tanya? You're nothing and the 10,000 ruble is nothing. Everything's insignificant before God. So lender's not quite sure what to do. So he says, okay, let's go to the Rav. So they went to the Rav. The Rav's name was the Radatz. Was a chassid of the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, a very uh, wise rabbi of which we, we hear a lot of fascinating stories. He originally was a, an opponent to Hasidic teachings and then he became a completely a complete, a, a, a big follower of, of Hasidic teaching. To, to turn his life around. And then that said, bring him in. Okay, so they bring the, the borrower into the room. And then Radat said to him, got to get this right. Sorry. We'll take, I don't have it, but hopefully I remember it correctly. We'll take your nothingness and we'll put it on the nothing and we'll give you a few nothings and very quickly the load will become nothing. <laughs> Basically, uh, this is an aspiration, you know, we can talk, we can preach it, but, uh, you know, as you saying that it's nothing, obviously a few, nothing, would suddenly realize that other things would become nothing. So we've got to know where we stand, we've got to know where we are in the picture, we've got to realize this is only a high aspiration, but nonetheless an aspiration for nothingness. And that's really another whole part of the class that I didn't even touch upon, which is, why would you want to aspire for nothing? Maybe we'll touch upon that in one of the following classes. It's not nothing, it's everything. But it's beyond the scope of today's class. Thank you for joining. Thank you.